Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us on a Another somewhat dreary Monday here, but at least the good news is looks like we're going to miss that, that huge blizzard and the big nasty storm that they say is moving across the good swath of the country. And uh, the closer we get to Christmas without having, again, the, the big storms and things so people can go out and enjoy their holidays or the pre-holiday meetings, the best, the more that goes on, the, the better it's going to be. Hey, a quick note, um, Kids to Kids Christmas this Thursday from 4 until 7, I'd like to invite you to join me out at the Century in Delafield, you know, right off the freeway. We've done broadcasts from there before, but I'm going to be there from 4 till 7 o'clock, and we're going to be collecting toys. It's one of our, our big final pushes to get more toys for Kids to Kids Christmas. And I know that there were a whole bunch of people that were out at Capco on Saturday um, as they were like, doing their, their toy drive and just showing all the toys they've accumulated. So the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign rolls on. I, I hate to start the program on a downer note, but it's been the story that I've quite honestly been thinking about the entire weekend. Friday evening, about 6 o'clock at night, you had a U.S. Postal Service carrier, mail guy, who was, I think the only way to describe it is to say that, that he was, you know, executed. Um, his name is Andre Cross, longtime mail carrier, and he was delivering, this is about 6 o'clock on Friday night, he was delivering mail in the 5,000 block of North 65th Street. Now, he, he was out on the street. It was after dark. So this is 6 p.m. What does it get dark around here? Around 4 o'clock or so. But um, that, that's what happens nowadays. The postal workers are expected to work after dark because, first of all, you got the deliveries to make. And secondly, around the holidays, the, the mail volume increases. So it takes them longer to do the job. So he's out on the streets, and you've probably... I mean, you've probably seen this. It, it's it's very, very chilling. All, all the descriptions talk about this guy, father of four, just being a, a real, real nice guy. And what apparently happens is you can see on this video that's out there is that there's a there, there's a car that pulls up. Somebody gets out of the car. You can't see the shooting on the video that they have, but you can hear a gunshot. And then person gets back in the car and drives off. And so you, you have this mail carrier who is murdered and appears in, in, in complete and total cold blood. Now, the Postal Service has put out a $50,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and the conviction of the person responsible. And this has clearly had a, a very, very, I think, chilling effect on all the people who deliver mail. Well, anybody who's out in a public service sort of area. Um, because, I mean, here you have a guy that was just, he was just doing his job and out of the clear blue, he, he is executed. And, and there's no other way I, th- I think to describe this other, other than that. 
And so now you have a lot of postal workers who are feeling extremely vulnerable. But I would argue it doesn't just apply to postal workers. It applies to probably anybody who's out on the mean streets of Milwaukee who are, are, are doing their jobs and who are, by nature, in an unprotected sort of situation. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I guess I've been trying to think about this, and, and the, the problem is when you have mail carriers who are out on the streets, um, they, they are very, very vulnerable. I mean, it's, for example, where I live, the, the mail carrier is in a truck. And, and so, yes, they continue to deliver after dark, but but they're they're in a truck. They're not out of the truck. They pull up to the mailboxes. They put the stuff in. But that's not how it works for a lot of mail carriers around Milwaukee. You're, you're on your feet. You're walking the particular route, you know, going from home to home, et, et cetera. And you are very, very vulnerable. Now, you're vulnerable at any point in time, but you're, I think, especially vulnerable after dark. So here, I guess, here's the starting point for the conversation. Should mail carriers be delivering mail on foot after dark? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, that's not a guarantee, of course, but in this case, he's out on the street after dark. And I know that's been a huge issue with a number of mail carriers, including some that are former mail carriers who are talked about, you know, the local newspaper found them. They're saying, look, one of the reasons why we, we quit this job is because we didn't want to be out on the streets after dark. And yet that's what the job requires right now. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Horrible, horrible story on so many different levels. But I guess the question becomes when in, in the city of Milwaukee, we now have 206, 207, 208 homicides already with weeks left in the year. You know, can we continue to put, in this case, mail carriers, but I would say also, you know, other public servants in jeopardy by having them out on the streets after dark? 855-616-1620. We discuss. As of now, 207 reported homicides in the city of Milwaukee that um, last year, which was an all-time record, they had 193. So we already have 14 more homicides. And, of course, there, there's still you know going on three weeks left in the year. The most recent or one of the most recent homicides, I shouldn't say the most recent because it was another bloody weekend over the last couple of days, but was on Friday afternoon about 6 o'clock, a, a mail carrier, urban mail carrier, out on his route delivering mail, appears to have been executed. Uh, There's just no other way to describe this. And, you know, one of the many factors that are going on, a number of mail carriers are saying, you know, it's just not safe to have us out on the streets. It's not not in vans, but out on the streets delivering mail after dark. And I guess that's one of the questions now. I mean, does the Postal Service need to reassess, given uh, again, given the danger that these mail carriers are put in? Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I think it is probably necessary to have them out after dark. And I know you're differentiating between someone who's just getting out of a truck and going up to the door, uh, which is what, you know, Amazon drivers do, UPS, FedEx, and they're always out after dark. Yep. Um, I've seen them out as late as 9 o'clock. But I just think that it would be really hard not to – I mean, the post office is backed up as it is at this time of year, and I don't want to, you know, say, oh, you know, safety doesn't matter because it does, but um, I just think that just in a lot of cases, 
you know, they don't crack down on criminals. And, you know, I don't think they think too much about And I, I think the penalties are higher if you do something to a, a mail delivery person. Well, I mean, so, it, it'll, uh, be a fe- it'll be a federal crime, you know, so you're, you're going to be talking about yeah. federal court and the federal murder case. But I guess I, the, the question now becomes, Mike, is what? I, and look, and I, I agree. With, look, you're, you're a regular listener. I mean, I agree with you. To me, it's, you know, flood the, flood the community with, with the community with cops and, you know, concentrate on the small stuff and prosecute people. I mean, I, so I'm all in favor yes. of all that stuff. But I guess the question becomes right. in the immediate future. I mean, what, what do you do? Can you imagine being a mail carrier in any urban area in general today, but specifically in the city of Milwaukee saying, hey, I'm going to be out on the street at five o'clock at night? I mean, that, that's a pretty difficult situation to put employees in. Yeah, you know, you would think at five o'clock it's it wouldn't be so bad. It'd be like much later, so they would be safe. But uh, I, I think this was obviously an earlier time. Yeah, my yeah. grandfather was a mail carrier, so I. Yeah, I'm sorry, we're losing your phone. Yeah, I mean, it, I get, and it, I just, I, I don't. One of the things that I find frustrating about these topics is, is I wish I had, you know, short-term answers. Um, I like the new mayor, Cavalier Johnson, but it, it doesn't appear that we're any closer to solving the, the new mayor is a lot like the old mayor, which, you know, we, we, we have all the appropriate things and we have these horrible homicides that occur and, you know, politicians denounce them. And I'm not saying it's like the mayor and members of the common council that are out there shooting up the streets. I'm not implying that, but at the same time, this community deserves better than 207 homicides, including all the different senseless ones. I mean, I'm looking at the story here. Milwaukee shooting near 20th and Nash. One man dead. This happened at an 18-year-old man killed at 1.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. I mean, it's just, it's one of these things after another. But again, you don't know what the motivation was to shoot this postal worker other than, at least right now, it's was this was this sport, you know, was that, you know, what do you do? Jeff, specifically to your question, I think mail delivery should be suspended during the hours of darkness in Milwaukee. And until people living in the city decide to take their city back, I'm afraid they're going to keep losing services and places to shop in the cities. Now, I appreciate what Mike is saying because, you know, all, I mean, all, all these other drivers, you know, all the other types of delivery drivers, whether it's UPS or the Amazon drivers or the food delivery drivers, they are also in this vulnerable situation as well. Jeff, I think it's time for the mayor of Milwaukee and all the aldermen that are calling out to, to start calling out the district attorney and the judges um, for their attitude towards crime. Well, I, I, you know, in general, that's true. But specifically, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And you know, I I'm confident that they're going to arrest the person who was responsible for this murder and hopefully prosecute him. But at the same time, what do you do in the immediate future? Jeff, I say stop the mail delivery until the suspect is arrested. Hmm. That's, um, you know, that's, you know, that's a, you know, a, a fair question uh, about there, about it. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, this sickening trend is happening all over the country. First, it was police that are being attacked. Now it's mail carriers that are being attacked. Um, yeah, it's Jeff, a very sad. Remember the city worker before him who was killed during the day, right? They're talking about that situation. Was it last year where you had the building inspector who was in that? He was, as I recall, <laughs> sitting in his vehicle and he was. He was executed. 
you know, this is, and now some people are texting me and saying, okay, well, you know, that they've, you know, that, that they're, they're speculating as to what the cause of this might be. It, it doesn't matter because the nature of this guy's job put him in a very, very vulnerable situation. And whether he was targeted or whether it was random, it, it doesn't matter. He, he's out on the street. He's doing his route. And we have to do a better job of protecting people in general, and I think public um, public uh, servants in particular. One of our textures says, "Daylight first is after dark is irrelevant." No, I don't. I don't think that. I don't. I don't think it is because yes, it's true that you have shootings in the middle of the day. I mean, it is. It's like high noon every hour around here. It seems like, but at the same time, I think when you're out after dark identifications become more difficult. No, I think I stand with that. It's more dangerous to be out, like, doing mail deliveries after dark. Jeff, some of the speculation is they may have been after his keys to mailboxes at apartment facilities. Um, this is becoming a big trend. Well, that, that, that could, in fact, be if you've got, you know, mail carriers that are being targeted for those sort of things. Um, th- there's just no question. Jeff, I hate to say it, but because they are federal employees and do handle sensitive letters and packages, shouldn't they be armed? Um, well, you know, we, we have that discussion all the time in the city of, well, mail carriers are not permitted to carry firearms. Um, city employees are not permitted to carry firearms. And, you know, we can have an argument about whether they should or not. Jeff, my first thought is that dark should have nothing to do with this tragedy. It's the ruthless criminals that have no regard for human life. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. Jeff, what a horrible story. The poor family. This is another reason to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. And maybe we do need to wait for our mail for an additional day so as not to put our mail carriers in even more danger than they already are. If the person is ever caught, I think they would deserve the death penalty for the blatant disregard for human life. Jeff, what a tragedy. I think the Postal Service should allow mail carriers to carry some form of protection so would-be criminals may be deterred. Um, well, they don't, but and I, and I don't know that that would serve a, as a deterrent. But right now, you know, if you have people that are being targeted in this fashion, and that's why I am certain, and I, in another life, I worked with the postal inspectors a lot, and I, I have no doubt that between the FBI and between the postal inspectors, solving this crime and apprehending the person who's responsible for this is, and it should be, a major priority. And again, I'm not suggesting that, you know, other lives, there's 206 other people who at least have been murdered on the mean streets of Milwaukee over the course of 2022. And I'm not suggesting that one life is more valuable than the others. But in this particular situation, at least it's fair to infer that the reason this guy was targeted and was executed was because of his official duties. And, you know, if if that's the case and you have somebody that's out there that is, I mean, shooting postal workers, well, you got to get them off the streets and you got to get them off the streets Quickly, Jeff, I think crime is getting so rampant in Milwaukee, the poor mail carriers are going to have to carry guards, uh, guns and armed guards. Jeff, I spoke with our letter carrier yesterday, and he confirms that the keys they carry are a reason to be targeted. He says this is happening in other states, including New York and other cities like Cleveland. That would be, you know, they they carry the, the keys, so you get into a large apartment building and you can unlock all the mailboxes to put the mailbox in, so they would be a target because, gee, if somebody gets that set of keys, they can go in and they can, you know, steal from people's mailboxes. Seems like a just... Man, I'm going to tell you something, though. That's You're putting your life in danger 
for that. Jeff, similar case in Florida. My guess is they were after his keys for apartment boxes and or packages in the truck and the trucks that occasionally contain prescription drugs. Jeff, Milwaukee deserves better. How true? How true? You know, why don't you get on the legislature to ask them why they don't earmark more money for law enforcement's courts and prisons? Well, I'm all in favor of that if there is a commitment for that. Um, no question. Jeff, There's a yeah, here's a longtime listener to your show and a former retired letter carrier. Being assigned to high-crime areas was always a concern of mine. Letter carriers have been attacked in broad daylight, and postal inspectors have been assigned surveillance to protect carriers when that happens. But resources are limited to do that. My heart and prayers go out to the family of the slain letter carrier. Right. I'm just... This cannot be allowed to continue. And if it's true that letter carriers are being targeted because of the keys to the apartment boxes that they carry, and and we're now shooting letter carriers to get access to those keys, I mean, a number of things have to have to stop. And I think the Postal Service has to start by saying, okay, let, let's figure out what, if anything, we can do to make it safer for the letter carriers to be on their routes. And I agree there, there's no... There's no magic solution to this necessarily, but I think one of the things that you need to think about is, do we continue delivering mail after dark, which I acknowledge poses a problem around the holidays when you've got heavy mail volume and you've got the, the it gets dark you know, sooner. I, I get that that causes a problem, but you can't put these mail carriers at risk, just saying, and hopefully they will catch the person who is responsible for this or persons and bring them to justice right away. I'm sure we'll have more to comment on this as developments warrant. Here's the text. Jeff, as an active letter carrier, I want to thank you for bringing attention to this horrible story. Well, absolutely. Matter of fact, I I know we have a lot of listeners who are who are our letter carriers. And I just, you know, for everybody that has a beef with the post office, I, I've, I've said this before, I, I actually, I have the greatest respect for people who are out delivering mail. I, I, I just, when I lived in Whitefish Bay, knew the mail people, loved them, loved the guy that the people that deliver mail out where we are. It's a hard job. It's a difficult job. And, and you know, one of my neighbors was saying, well, the mail delivery has been getting later and later over. It's not coming till after dark. Well, it's, it's because... The, the volume is increased. And like I say, where I live, the mail carriers are in trucks, so they never have to get out of the truck. So is there a potential risk? Yes, but it's not like when you're on foot, like you have to be in some of these urban areas. But it's just, it is a, it's a horrible story. And I think the post office needs to take a step back and say, all right, we, we can't just treat this as a one-off. You know, we have to recognize that, especially if there's people out there that are willing to murder mail carriers to get their keys to apartment boxes or whatever, we, we have to figure out what we are going to do, whether it's cutting back the hours or providing extra surveillance or security. But you can't have these mail carriers being put at risk simply because, okay, it takes them longer to accomplish their jobs. And I would say that about other about other people who perform public services as well. If you've been listening to this program, you know, I just, driving a Milwaukee County bus, you are just so very, very exposed. Safety has always been an issue with that. And we had the story with the building inspector a couple of years ago. All right, off that soapbox. Did you say the Postal Service has five mail carriers have been attacked in the last couple months in Milwaukee? No, in across the country, across the latest the country. in Milwaukee. Okay, yes. the latest in Milwaukee. Five across, and... 
and again, you, I mean, a number of our listeners are saying one of the motives is maybe to they, they've got key. The mail carriers have keys to these multifamily, the big apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. They've got keys, mm-hmm. so you rob the postal worker and you get access to the mailbox and stuff like that. Yes, that's at least what they've discovered in Chicago, where I think it's four in Chicago, one in Orlando, Florida, and then the latest one here in Milwaukee. But yeah, oh, yeah. wow, wow. Life is cheap on the mean streets of Milwaukee. When we come back, what kind of jack wagon calls in a bomb threat? I will explain. We will discuss. It's just one thing after another. And and this is the breaking news story. Um, Saturday evening... Patty LaBelle, and you know, Patty LaBelle is a, a famous singer. She was uh, performing, she, she's doing, she's on tour now with a, a holiday concert. Um, and I'm kind of looking at the advertising for it now. It's um, an evening of holiday and hits. And um, she's, again, she's, she's touring the country with this, but it's, it's uh, a number of classic songs and standards, and I'm sure it's some, some holiday music as well. So she was performing at the Riverside Theater, just right down the street from where I am sitting now. And apparently it was a very, very well attended. Um, they estimate that the theater um, near capacity, and it, it, it seats 2,500. So you, you have a huge turnout. Let's say it's 2,000. Let's say it's 2,500 or whatever. And she's just starting her show. I think she's two or three songs into it. And Here's here's the way the Journal Sentinel describes it. Video taken from the Riverside Saturday shows the 78-year-old Patti LaBelle chatting with an audience member who was celebrating her 70th birthday and receiving a bouquet of flowers from another fan in the front row when two men, seemingly her security personnel, brief, briefly, briskly walked up to LaBelle at the microphone. And I, I've watched I've watched the, the video of this. Wait, she cries out as she's swiftly escorted off the stage by these two men. Yeah, they kind of grab her and they're they're hauling her off the stage. Um, this happened, like I say, it's about two songs into the performance. It's about nine thirty at night. Concert started at eight, and they had an opening act before that. Um, then somebody gets on the microphone after they get Patty Labelle off the stage and says that we have to evacuate the building because there was a bomb threat. And then people who were in in the theater say, "Okay, so we're they're they're evacuating the theater. We come out. The police had the block taped off. Whole lot of people were pretty upset. It's very, very scary. You know, one of the attendees tells the local newspaper it happened so quickly. Everybody very calmly exited the theater in a disbelieving manner. I heard lots of comments about how sad it was that someone would pull such a pathetic stunt. The before the incident, the crowd was really enjoying Patty, just sad that somebody does this the riverside theater uh, comes out and says you know we're thankful for the efforts of the milwaukee police department and our customers and our staff for their safe safe and orderly exit we're working with the artists to reschedule the show but you get the idea i mean you know she's two she's two songs in and then all of a sudden you get the the information that there's a bomb threat and so then everybody has to be taken out and there's really i mean there's nothing that the venue can do there's nothing that the cops can do you get this phone call that comes in and says okay there's a bomb there well you 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 know you can't you can't just let the show go on now as it turns out as most of these turn out to be it it was a hoax 
But the end result of this is you have 2,000-plus people who had come down to Milwaukee to see this concert and paid money for their tickets and gotten all settled in and were getting ready to enjoy the concert. And two songs in, boom, it ends. You've got the disruption that occurs. You've got the fact that this is a national news story because, you know, once again, Milwaukee in the news, this case, a, a bomb threat that ends up stopping the show. Got a text from somebody earlier today saying, well, you know, maybe there was something they could do to get the to allow the show to continue. And, and my response to that was, no, I mean, that's just not, that's just not practical. You, it's, I mean, I don't know exactly what time the bomb threat came in, but it doesn't make any difference. It's the middle of the show. You can't say, okay, well, you know, it's going to take us two or three hours to clear the building and everybody wait outside. And then, you know, we'll, we'll resume about one o'clock in the morning. I know they did that, you know, back in what the seventies for a Bruce Springsteen concert where there was a bomb threat, they evacuated the place and he came back and started playing at one in the morning. But this, this isn't the 1970s. The, the theater had no choice but to cancel the show, thereby inconveniencing all these people that are there. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. I started this segment by saying, you know, what kind of jack wagon does something like this? And, and I, I reemphasize that. What kind of jack wagon does something like this? But this, this is just a, an example of the latest sort of things that are going on. Remember a couple months ago, you had the swatting incident that closed uh, like half a dozen area schools. The things where you got calls saying there's a police, you know, there's a, there's an active shooter situation going on in blank middle school or in blank high school. And then what happened is they had nothing. They had to just evacuate the schools, causing all this panic. And now they've traced at least a couple of those calls back to the United Kingdom. So as far as I know, nobody has has been charged in connection with those sort of incidents. I guess my point here is th- th- this is not a prank, and this is this is a big deal. And there needs to be aggressive enforcement and aggressive prosecution of people who who do this. Th- this is this is not a fun thing. This is not oh well, I didn't understand the consequences. This is a malicious attempt, and and I think in some respects it is a form of terrorism, you know, threatening to blow up a facility and inconvenience these people. It needs to be a priority of law enforcement to determine where this came from. And when they catch the person, if they're able to catch the person that did it, this is – and I don't care who this person is. I don't care whether it's a 14-year-old or whether it's an 84-year-old. Whoever calls in bomb threats needs to go to prison. Yes, I said prison, and needs to go there for a long period of time. You cannot allow people to get away with this. And I don't fault the cops. I don't fault the Paps Theater Group. They did the only responsible thing that they could do under the circumstances, which was to cancel the concert, evacuate things. But you shouldn't have to do this. We should not allow ourselves to be held hostage to some idiot on a cell phone who is able to disrupt an event like this simply because they think it will be fun. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. You know, is this a big deal? And does it need to be a point of emphasis in prosecution? And my answer is yes. And if you happen to be at the concert last night, I'd be particularly interested in talking to you. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is a WTMJ talk and text line. If you're just tuning in Saturday evening, um, Patty LaBelle, you know, fam- world famous performer was doing a holiday concert at the Riverside Theater. The place was near capacity, which is 
capacity is 2,500. And two songs into her show, her performance, they, they had to, they, they canceled the show, had to evacuate the building. They hauled her off the stage because some jack wagon had called in a, a bomb threat. And you know, for anybody out there who says, well, you know, maybe they could have just gone on with the show. No, that's not how it works. I mean, when, when you get a bomb threat that's called in, even if you don't believe that it's credible, what you have to do is you have to investigate it because if a bomb goes off and kills 2,000 people, well, you just can't let that to happen. So they evacuated the theater. They canceled the show. Hopefully they're going to be able to reschedule it. But you had 2,000-plus people who were inconvenienced. You had the enormous expense uh, to authorities of going out and checking the, the, the Riverside Theater to make sure that there wasn't a bomb. You had the um, the fact that Milwaukee, once more back in the national news, Patti LaBelle concert canceled because of bomb threat. And I guess my point is that these need to be priority investigations. And I understand it's difficult. It's difficult to track down who is responsible for these things. I, I get it. But it needs to be a priority. Um, in Under state law, calling in a bomb threat like this is punishable by up to three and a half years in prison under federal law. And this is one where I believe there'd be dual jurisdiction. It's up to a five-year penalty. But you can't allow this stuff to happen, period. Case closed. Let's start with uh, Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, in addition to the consequences you mentioned, um, th- this was on the NBC Nightly News sure. last night, and it was a huge disservice to the city because if I'm a major concert performer or musician and I see this on the news, I'm going to think twice about coming to the city now, and so it's going to discourage them. And then the other thing is that we can't let let people like this hold hostage what we want to do and what we want to go out and, and see and everything like that, because it, it could get to the point where punks like this are just ruining every everything that comes up. And this person needs to be found and made an example of. And the only other thing is that when I was in high school, somebody did phone in a bomb threat once, and this person was caught. And if this, if, if this can be caught back in 1989, I would think that it could be done even more easily now that, that we have all the technology and things like that we didn't have back then. Yeah, Jeff, thanks. Well, the, the, the problem, but you just, you just mentioned, I think, what part of the problem is it, it's all the technology. If somebody buys, and one of our texters is making this example, and I appreciate it's not easy. Somebody buys a, a burner, and look, and I, I don't know how the bomb threat came in, but just in, in theory, somebody buys a, 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 you know, a burner phone that's got, you know, X amount of minutes on it and, you know, makes the phone call and calls in the bomb threat and then destroys the phone and throws it away. Well, you know, how how, how are you going to be able to find out, you know, who that person was? And it, I just it's, it's very, very difficult. And then with the number of the swatting calls, like I say, they, they believe they've traced the number of those back to the United Kingdom. So, OK, you've got some punk on a computer who's trying to, you know, disrupt stuff for whatever purpose they, they have, you know, in the United Kingdom. Well, well, good luck trying to identify him. So, you know, you're right that, you know, we have all this added technology to try to identify these things. But unfortunately, that technology also makes it tougher for people to, you know, get caught. I mean, back back in the day with landline phones, before the advent, before Al Gore invented the Internet, and before everybody walked around with cell phones, you know, it was easier to trace calls. Oh, this came from a, a pay phone, so-and-so, or, or this came from a landline number there. It's just, it, it's, it's tougher, and I, I admit it. And unfortunately, I think that emboldens people, which is why... I think it's so very important that when when they catch these 
people, you know, they, they need to they, they need to prosecute them. It frustrates me sometimes when they catch the a lot of times the, at the schools, and I'm not talking about the Patty LaBelle concert, but you know, a lot of the times when they catch the the bomb threats or the shooting threats that are made at schools, what what does it turn out to be? It turns out to be a student. Um, and then, you know, we always talk tough. Oh, we're going to catch them and we're going to do this. And then when, you know, the metal meets the meat, what happens is, oh, we're going to put them on. They're going to be on probation or, or whatever. And we're going to tell them not to do it again. Well, the problem with that is it doesn't serve as a deterrent to people. Jeff, I cannot even believe that the Republican National Convention selected Milwaukee as its location with all the crime. I just don't I just see so many chances for things to happen on a national level. Now, who knows? I mean, who knows? Jeff, I'm not real hopeful about federal law enforcement catching these clowns. They still don't have any suspects in custody for the pro-life fires in Madison last summer. Well, that is an excellent point as well. You will remember there was the pro-life center in Madison, and I want to say it was May, but it it could have been June. But remember, it was firebombed. (laughs) It it was firebombed. And you had people that were there was a, a group that was claiming that, that they did it. And, you know, six months, seven months, eight months later, there, there's still not any but nobody in custody, but there's still at least apparently no, no huge leads to this. I mean, it's just maybe the crime is just so rampant that, that law enforcement can't catch up. Maybe it's that, you know, we, we're just we're so busy that we can't concentrate on things. But at the same time, you, you, you can't be allowing stuff like this to happen. And just in the space of 48 hours, you, you have the Patti LaBelle concert because of a bomb threat canceled because of a bomb threat. And then on the other side, the, the even worse situation of the mail carrier who's murdered for whatever reason. It's just it. And this is. This is what happens apparently on a weekend in the city of Milwaukee. I'm just saying we, we got to get a handle on this type of stuff. And whether it's more cops and more aggressive law enforcement and certainly more prosecutions and more sentences, that, that's just a start. But you get the idea that the city is just going out of control and nobody has any good ideas as to what to do about it. Hey, Wisconsin, it's December and Christmas is fast approaching. No kidding. Uh, two weeks from yesterday. That's why I'm here with the Wagner Holiday Shopping List. This week, we are giving away gift certificates from the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association. We'll be doing one gift certificate each day sometime between now and 3 o'clock. So keep listening. All right. In, in, in the category, and we're, we're going to move on from just, just senseless brutal crime in the next hour of the program. But but here's just another one of these examples. All right, the headline says, Wauwatosa police say suspect fired single shot through the door of Papa John's, employee hurt by shattered glass. This happened um, 9 o'clock Saturday night. Police respond to the Papa John's restaurant on 115th and North Avenue. Okay, so it's Wauwatosa. Apparently what happened, two employees standing outside by their car. You have a suspect who walks into Papa John's to buy a pizza. When he left, police believe the suspect heard the two employees outside laughing and assumed it was at his expense. I don't know if it was at his expense or not, but here's what he did. The suspect spat at one of the employees who began to run back into the restaurant. That's when the suspect pulled out a gun, fired a shot at the victim through the door. The suspect then fled the scene. No one was injured by the shot, but an employee's face was cut when the glass door shattered. So you have somebody, and again, I don't know what the background was, but he feels like he's disrespected. So instead of 
calling the manager and complaining that, hey, these employees disrespected me, if in fact they did. His reaction is, I'm going to spit at one of them, and then I'm going to pull out my handgun, and I'm going to shoot at them you know, through the, the door of, of the restaurant, demonstrating, again, so many people out there with the impulse control of a fruit fly. Now, my guess is, in this particular case, they're, they're going to catch this guy relatively quickly. I mean, my guess is that they, they know or have a good idea who this person was because he came in, he picked up a pizza at Papa John's. So my guess is there was a number that maybe he called when he ordered it or there's hopefully there's cameras or things like that. So hopefully they'll be able to get this guy and, and apprehend him. But it's another situation. It's 9 o'clock at night. You feel disrespected so you're res- if that's what happened. And so your response is to pull out your gun and fire, you know, fire into a, a restaurant as you're trying to kill one of the employees. Okay, these these are another example. If they catch this guy, it goes to Milwaukee County Circuit Court. But when they catch the person, and my guess is if they catch the person, once again, this will not be that person's first time at the rodeo. My guess is there will be a criminal record there. All right, you need to go to prison. And as I've said before, if that means we got to build more prisons, then so be it. Let's build more prisons. A lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program, including, okay, Brittany Griner is back. What about all the other Americans who are working in Russia? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. The, the Brittany Griner hostage swap continues to be controversial. I think everybody knows the story by now. Brittany Griner is a WNBA player who was, what, last February or early March, right, right, uh, essentially almost on the eve of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She decides that she's going to travel to Russia to play for one of the, the professional basketball teams in Russia. That is not uncommon. Some people do that to make money in the off season. She brings along a very, very small quantity of hashish oil. She gets caught with it. And under normal circumstances in a rational world, this is not Midwhite Night Express. She's not an international heroin smuggler. In a rational world, what would have happened is she would have been fined. She would have been put on the next plane back to the United States and deported. This is, of course, not a rational world. And Vladimir Putin is a monster. Recognizing that she has hostage value, they then apprehend her, put her through the court system, and sentence her to nine years in a gulag for, again, a, a, a thumbnail amount of hashish oil. And, and don't, I mean, some people might text, well, the law is the law. Okay, I, I get all that. I understand that. But let, let's be honest here in having this conversation. She was being held as a, a hostage for the last, well, the better part of the last decade. Russia has been trying to get the return of an international arms dealer with KGB ties known as Viktor Boot. Um, this is a guy who was arrested a number of years ago in a sting operation as he was trying to sell missiles that were going to be used to kill Americans. Okay, he's a very, very bad guy. He's the merchant of death. Um, Russia has wanted him back for the longest period of time. Russia rec- re- recognizing that you've got a... a from a perspective of domestically, it's a huge propaganda win if they can trade this this basketball player who had a thumbnail full of, you know, probably personal use quantity hashish oil for this guy who's you know, international arms dealer who wants to kill thousands and thousands of Americans. And Russia essentially stuck it to Joe Biden. They, they said, OK, th- all right. 
this is the deal. <clears throat> this is the deal that we have. And what you're going to have to do is we're, we're not trading anybody else. If, if you want her back, you've got to give us this particular guy. And Joe Biden, for a variety of reasons, and I don't want to, we've talked about the merits of this. Joe Biden gives into this and Putin gets a huge propaganda win. He gets the uh, merchant of death back and the U.S. gets Brittany Griner back. Okay. And there's, I mean, my argument at the time and continues to be what we have done is we have just simply, you know, you just don't negotiate with terrorists. And that's how Putin was behaving. And right now what we've done is we have just simply emboldened him to do this in the future, which let's move aside from whether it was a good deal or not. I think it was a bad deal, but but who knows? All right. The deal is all done. The question is, moving forward, where do we go from here? New York Times had a real interesting story. And by the way, the State Department has already issued an advisory telling Americans to leave Russia immediately. We cannot guarantee that you will not be scooped up on some sort of trumped-up charges and sent to a penal colony for nine years. So the State Department is telling people, leave. There are a lot of people who are choosing not to do that. Now, um, since the invasion of Ukraine, over a 1,000 multinational companies have, have, have like limited their operations in Russia, foreign managers often being the first to go. So non-Russians are told, get out of here. The State Department says to Americans, leave. Well, here's what the New York Times says. Right now, there are an estimated 42 Americans playing or planning to play in Russia's premier men's basketball league, up from 30 a few months ago. So more and more of these people are coming in. An analysis of team rosters shows that there are an additional 29 American and Canadian hockey players who are signed to premier Russian teams this season, including some who have joined Russia's invasion of Ukraine. New York Times focuses on an American basketball player, somebody named Casey Rivers, who I've never heard of. He's 35 years old. He came to Russia in August while Brittany Griner was on trial to play for a team about 500 miles east of Moscow. His response is, well, at this point, I really didn't have any many options coming my way. What's the best thing for me right now? I'm, I'm not going to say I'm near the end of my career, but my career at this point, financially, what makes sense? So we've got this basketball player who said, okay, I'm 35 years old. I'm at the end of the road. I'm going to go play for this Russian basketball team, even though I knew what happened to Brittany Griner because I want the dough. All right, that is a decision you make. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Regardless of what you think about the Griner decision, one way or the other, and I don't mean to be harsh about this, but when the State Department says, get out of Dodge, when we see what Russia did to Brittany Griner, essentially holding her as a hostage on what was a trumped-up charge, I guess my attitude is, for any of the other Americans who have made the decision to go to Russia since this happened or to stay in Russia because they want to make a fast buck, all right, go with God, but don't expect the U.S. to come bail you out if you get picked up on pot charges or hash charges or some other sort of trumped-up charge and thrown into a gulag. 
You were told to get out. You've made the decision that the money is more important to you than anything else. That's fine. That's your decision. But if anybody else gets scooped up, should we be talking about prisoner trades to get them out or knowing what we know about Russia right now, knowing what we know about the Griner case? I, I guess my point is anybody who stays in Russia, you're on your own. 855-616-1620. What do you think? to laugh whenever whenever we every year when we have we have a pajama gram on i always have a couple lists it's not pajama it's pajamas you know it's pajama and we we have this debate back and forth and you know you say pajama i say pajama you can say pajama that that's okay but one of our texters after listening to you for years on the air making fun of how you say pajamas i finally went on the site and just ordered thank you (laughs) that's that's it jeff mark the tape i agree with you going forward tell americans going to russia they won't be swapped in a prisoner exchange right see that's this is the lesson of this. And again, we, we can debate whether or not Biden gave away the store he did to try to get Brittany Griner back. Oh, OK, that that that's fine. That's all said and done. But, you know, you've got 40. What was the number I just had? Forty two basketball players, American basketball players, uh, 29 hockey players, either Americans or Canadians that are there. I mean, at this point in time, including some who, who went after this whole Griner thing occurred. Look, I understand why they're going, because Russia pays top dollar, so that they can make more money going to Russia and playing for these club teams. All right, that's fine, but recognize you are putting yourself in risk, at risk. And if you go to Russia and you get caught for, I don't know, uh, some trumped-up thing, you're, you're driving you're driving 40 kilometers an hour in a 25-kilometer zone, and next thing you know, you find yourself you know, sentenced to some gulag to three years. Don't expect the U.S. to bail you out. You have been warned that because of your nationality, you are a target. And I think, you know, candidly, I think if you decide to stay in Russia at this point in time, after the State Department has issued an advisory telling people to get the you-know-what out, and you don't get the you-know-what out, you, you just you can't expect the government to come bail you out. Adam, um, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. This is really irritating. The State Department immediately should put out a worldwide memoranda, however that would be sent out, and say, whoever's in there, get out because we're not going to come and get you. Because and But the unfortunate thing is we got to get Biden and all the Democratic hacks go along with that idea because Griner was nothing more than a juicy political benefit to make him look great. And that guy's done so many bad things to affect the security, future security of this country. Well, I mean, thanks to call. I mean, here, here, here's the thing. Look, and again, I, I just I, I don't want to go down that route because there's it's because Brittany Griner herself, because of her political positions and because of her sexual orientation and because of her race, she, she's become this issue. And there's all these collateral things. Well, if she wasn't this or wasn't that or wasn't this, you know, that we wouldn't have traded for her. And she's got these different interest groups that are pushing for her. I, I, look, I, I, I don't know. And I don't take I, – but that's not that, – what's, what's done is done. I do agree that by – by, by trading, and essentially, like I said earlier, I mean, I, I believe Putin is nothing more than a, than a terrorist. And, you know, one of the things has always been is you don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, we've negotiated with a terrorist. You know, we, we gave away um, a, an arms dealer who was trying to kill Americans in exchange for a basketball player who got caught 
by stupidly going into the country with a small quantity of hashish oil. It, it wasn't close to an even sort of trade. And whether Biden should have made it or not, that doesn't make any difference. But now moving forward, do you think Putin, seeing what he was able to do in this case, do you think that he would be above grabbing one of those other, you know, 40-some basketball players who are there? Or, I mean, any other American citizen, people who are sitting there saying, okay, well, I I know it's really risky, but I'm going to work for this construction company. You know, grabbing them on some sort of pretext and then holding them trying to trade for, you know, somebody else that's out there. I'm just saying, at this point in time, if you are an American citizen and you are in Russia, you need your head examined. And I understand that greed is a powerful sort of thing. I get this 35-year-old basketball player saying, well, I'm really kind of at the end of my career. I can make more money in Russia than anywhere else. Well, you can't spend the money if you're sitting in Siberia in a penal colony. 855 616 one six twenty. I mean, I just think that that's that's the the truth as to where you know we go. Let's um, talk to Gianni and Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes. Good afternoon, Jeff. Listen, uh, we are fighting a proxy war against Russia via Ukraine, and anyone that that goes to Russia or has gone there in the last nine months. Uh, should know what they're getting into. Um, the State Department has had this warning out for some time now. And uh, let me post a question. Unless you're Charles Lindbergh, um, would you be going to uh, Nazi Germany in the 1940s as an American citizen? I don't think so. Don't think so. Yeah, no, thanks. Now, the, dif- the difference is we're, we're not, I mean, we're not at war with Russia, but nevertheless, Nevertheless, we we understand, you know, where we are here. One of our texters says, Jeff, we should not be doing prisoner swap trades. I have said this since they released Griner in this trade. She had played for Russia for four years. She knew the rules of the government. Then she gets busted and the U.S. trades a bad criminal for her. She chose to be in Russia. Deal with it. Of course, Putin is going to do it again. If you are in Russia and get arrested, I think that that's too bad. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's, and I guess that's, that's where I come down on this. Um, no more prisoner exchanges. People need to get out. I mean, that's just, that is just the bottom line of all this. Jeff, I totally agree with you. If an American decides to stay there, well, I, I wish them good luck. Jeff, Russia took advantage and a weak administration gave them what they wanted. We traded a five-course dinner for two packs of gum. Those who who choose to stay should be on their own. I don't like it, but if you stay, you're on your own. That's, you know, it's just kind of like when we... When, when you have the hurricane that, that's bearing down on the community and the authorities come out and they say, look, we put in an evacuation order because here's the bottom line. We're not going to be able to come get you, you know, while the hurricane is going on. You know, we're going to try our best afterwards, but we're not going to be able to get you. Well, there's a hurricane that, that's going on right now. It is the equivalent of that. And if you decide that, gee, I want to continue playing basketball and I can make more money playing here than I can playing in Spain or playing, you know, in Portugal or or wherever, you know, other overseas countries that might not pay as much as Russia, but might offer a more secure landing spot for Americans. If you make that decision, go with God, but don't come complaining if you get picked up on some sort of trumped up charge, because I think it's going to happen again. 
Putin has realized that the United States will do this. So if you're some sort of high-profile athlete, all I'm saying is you better not be speeding down some Russian street. You better not get caught with marijuana. You better not get drunk and get into a bar fight. You better make sure that whatever sort of taxes you have to pay, you pay every dime and then a little bit more on top of it because Putin has shown that for very, very minor charges – He will be willing to grab people and hold them as political hostages. So if you decide that you're going to continue to allow yourself to be in that environment, fine. You've made that decision, but don't expect the U.S. government to come bail you out. How many more Victor Boots do we have to release before that idea gets out? And when the State Department says get out, if you decide not to get out, fine, you're on your own. One of our texters nails it in one. Jeff. Victor Booth had supplied African rebels with tens of thousands AK-47s, and all Putin had to do was release the harmless Brittany Griner. If you're an American athlete insisting on staying in Russia and thinking you're safe, you are a fool. You're probably next. Well, I think there's a good likelihood of that. And if you decide you want to push the greed button and stay there because you're going to make a lot of money, okay, fine. That's a risk you take. And if they come for you next, and my guess is they probably will, and they come for you next, just don't expect the government to find some other arms dealer to release. Hey, during that last uh, that last advertising block, you heard from my friend Dennis at White Lace Inn, and, and Dennis has been a sponsor on this program. I think we were talking for, I think, like 20-some years and stuff. So I'm, I'm always thrilled to have him back. And it is December. Christmas is fast approaching, and that's why I'm here with the Wagner Holiday Shopping List. This week, we are giving away gift certificates from the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association. We'll be doing one giveaway a day for the balance of the week. Today, we're going to give away a gift certificate from the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association to caller number 8. Caller number 8 at 855-616-1620. Caller number 8 wins a gift certificate to the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association, courtesy of the Jeff Wagner Holiday Shopping List. Okay, we have our winner of the bed and breakfast gift certificate for today. Keep listening. We'll be giving away one each day this week to some lucky caller as part of our Wagner's holiday shopping list. You know, I, I just I, I kind of smile with this because you know the number of people said I I always attribute it to Lyndon Johnson, but I'm sure other people said it as well. The, the phrase is "Don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining." And I love it when these political organizations when these uh, again, government groups or whatever decide to tax, spend taxpayer money, and and what they're doing is an overtly political thing, but they they try to cover it up. All right, this spring, um, there is going to be an election. The key the key race, the statewide race that everybody who lives in Wisconsin is going to be able to vote on, is the race for the state supreme court. You've got two conservatives, Jennifer Doro and Dan Kelly, running. Two liberals, a, a judge out of Milwaukee County and a judge out of Dane County. Um, so, and, and it's it's an important. Not that any Supreme Court race isn't important, but this is particularly important because it, it it's it will involve the ideological control of the court. Right now, the court has four conservative or conservative leaning justices, and I'm talking about judicial conservatives, and you've got three liberals. So the justice who is retiring 
Patience Rogensack is, is a conservative. She's with the conservative bloc. So if somehow a liberal would get elected, you would have, again, a swing. And for all I know, we, we might still be in a lockdown with, with Tony Evers. You know, But the, the Supreme Court is very, very important because of that. And it's going to be a very, very contested race. You're already seeing that. So the Milwaukee County Board is considering taxpayer spending taxpayer money to put a referendum question on the April ballot. Um, the board's finance committee recommended approving the, rec- the referendum, which would ask voters if the state law, which bans abortion at any stage of pregnancy without exception for rape, incest, or health of the patient, should be repealed to allow legal access to abortion care. Right. They they would ask Milwaukee County voters that now this is a a non-binding referendum. The decision as to whether the state law banning abortion is is going to be upheld is going to be determined. First of all, it's going to be in the courts. And and secondly, I guess from a legislative perspective, you know, it's going to be decided by the governor and the state legislature. But the Milwaukee common, the Milwaukee County Board has nothing to do with this. And it's a non-binding referendum that has, you know, it, it's just sort of meaningless. Oh, 80% of people in Milwaukee thought that this was, in Milwaukee County, thought this was the case. Okay, you know, so what? It makes no difference at all. So why are we spending taxpayer money to put it on the ballot? Well, I'll give you three guesses, but the first two don't count. It's just like we saw with the marijuana referendum that was on two consecutive ballots in off-year elections, both this year and then in 2018. This this is an effort to try to turn out people who are going to vote on the abortion question. There will be, I think it's going to be very clear that as the Supreme Court race moves through, you're going to have some candidates who are going to be more open to, I don't know, striking down laws prohibiting abortion than others. It's going to be one of these issues, at least that's my prediction. So it's pretty clear that what you have is you have members of the county board, just like they did with the marijuana referendum before, what they're trying to do is give an additional incentive for people who might not care about the Supreme Court race and might not turn out to turn out to vote because they want to vote on an abortion question, even though the issue is meaningless, and then hoping that they're going to vote for the liberal candidate or at least the candidate that's going to be more liberal on the abortion issue. It, it's just sort of a, a naked attempt to you know, turn out voters on one particular side of the issue it worked, I think, clearly back in 2018 when Tony Evers beat Scott Walker. Didn't work as well when they put the marijuana referendum on the ballot again because turnout was down in 2022. But l- let's be honest, that's what this is all about. And it costs money to put these things on there. It is a meaningless sort of thing, but it demonstrates, again, the political motivation and the political thinking of the Milwaukee County Board. So if you're wondering why would they put a referendum on abortion on there that's non-binding, has no impact at all, well, it's because they're trying to turn out voters who might be inclined to vote more along the lines of the liberal candidate in the state Supreme Court race. If you live in Milwaukee County, your tax dollars at work. All right, let us switch gears. The way it works in Wisconsin is there are 13 four-year colleges, universities, in Wisconsin where students earn bachelor degrees. Okay, so you've got 13 four-year schools. You have 13 other campuses that are called branch campuses. These are are two-year campuses. 
So um, branch campus, campuses historically offer two-year associate's degrees. They are sometimes a starting point to get people into school, and then they transfer maybe to a four-year university. So that, that's that's it. But that's basically the way it goes. You've got 13 of the what I'm going to call the four-year universities and then 13 of the smaller branch campuses. Each of the branch campuses is tied to one of the the four-year universities. Um, So, for example, you have um, the University of Milwaukee, uh, Waukesha, the the Waukesha branch campus. That's tied to UW-Milwaukee, UWM. Um, the Barron County branch campus is tied to UW-Eau Claire. UW-Green Bay has branch campuses in Manitowoc, Marinette, and Sheboygan. Oshkosh has branch um, campuses in Fond du Lac, and then there's Oshkosh um, Fox City. So you, you get the idea. And the, the plan is, okay, you go to one of these two-year schools, and then you can get an associate's degree, or, or maybe you continue. The problem is that the the number of people enrolling at these branch campuses has been decreasing over the years, and it's costing more and more money to operate the branch campuses. So what they've just announced is that UW-Platteville-Richland, which is one of the branch campuses, that's being closed. They're going to close that, and they're going to close it because they have 60 students. They have 60 students, and they've simply made the decision that, hey, um, the faculty, it costs somewhere between three-quarters of a million and a million dollars in faculty salaries and benefits, plus all the other things. There's just not enough students to maintain this. The same thing is true at not all, but a number of these other branch campuses. For example, um, UW-Platteville-Baraboo, 179 students. UW-Green-Bay-Marinette, 242 students. Um, you, you get the idea. UW Stevens Point Marshfield, 244. Small numbers of students. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, there's a lot of people up in arms over the fact that UW Richland is going to be closed because they only have 60 students. Not only do I think UW Richland should be closed, but I think you need to take a really, really hard look and say, do we need all these branch campuses? I mean, for example, UW-Green Bay has three branch campuses. Manitowoc, they've got a campus that has 373 students. Marinette, that has 242 students. Sheboygan, that has 440 students. Okay, how can you afford to keep the Marinette school open? And is it really that much of a hardship if you'd say to everybody in Marinette, Here, here's the deal, you gotta you gotta drive down to Manitowoc, for example, to or you know you've got to go over to Sheboygan. The, the the fact that we have all these branch campuses, and we're paying for all these branch campuses, to me, it's kind of a throwback to earlier times. If we're looking for ways to economize, I think you have to be relatively brutal when you're looking and saying, okay, how many students do we have, and does it make economic sense? to keep this school open. UW-Milwaukee-Waukesha, okay, that's got 810 students. That, that's an easy one. But on the other hand, again, UW-Marinette, 242 students when you've got um, Manitowoc and Sheboygan that are there as well. 
855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Do we need to start consolidating these smaller campuses? My answer would be absolutely. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. And look, the purpose of the segment isn't to be anti-education, but the, the reality is we have, there's 26 University of Wisconsin between the four-year colleges, which 13 of them, and the two-year colleges, the branch colleges, there are 13 of them. And, and geographically, a, a lot of them are pretty close together. I mean, you've got UW-Green Bay, for example, which is the, the four-year college, and then you've got UW, you've got Manitowoc, which, uh, again, that's a two-year college associated with Green Bay, and then you've got Marinette, that's a two-year college associated with Green Bay. And then you've got Sheboygan, which is a two-year college associated with Green Bay. And all these different colleges, these two-year colleges, they, they've got their, their own, they've got their costs associated with them. You've got the buildings, and you've got the cost of maintaining the buildings, and you've got the faculty, and you've got the infrastructure that supports the faculty and all that. My only point is that this, this idea that we're going to have 13 branch campuses because we've always had 13 branch campuses makes no sense to me. Right now, they're in the process of closing UW Platteville in Richland. It only has a hundred. It only has sixty kids. Sixty kids, and the faculty salaries range between three quarters of a million and a million dollars, depending on you know how you factor in the benefits. And they're they're closing, and some people are all up in arms about this. But there's only sixty kids. I mean, I I think at some point in time you need to start looking at these things and saying, all right, if there's only two hundred forty-two kids attending UW Marinette. And you've got satellite. If you've got you've got UW Green Bay, and then you've got satellite schools in Manitowoc and Sheboygan. How can you afford to keep Marinette open? And is it really that much of a hardship if you say, okay, you, you've got to go down to Green Bay or you know whatever? And my point is, you've got to be brutal about this. Now, some of the universities, Waukesha, that's got eight hundred and ten kids. UW Milwaukee, Waukesha, okay, eight hundred and ten. You've got a critical mass that can support that. But for some of these. UW Platteville and Baraboo, 179 kids. How can you keep a two-year college open for 179 kids when there are a number when there's Platteville that that's right there? Don't you have to kind of make these sort of uh, decisions? UW Oshkosh in Fond du Lac, it's got 258 students. Okay, Fond du Lac's pretty darn close to Oshkosh. You know why why are we spending the money to keep that open? Just asking. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, my thought is, well, yes, we have to consolidate and cut costs, but uh, the underlying thing that I think is these uh, salaries and benefits for these people, uh, they're just person themselves out of the general public. People cannot afford to do this anymore, just like uh, going to sporting events. You know, these salaries are just outrageous, and... I think that's where uh, the issue should be, is cut down that, plus uh, consolidating this the uh, school uh, yeah. uh, uh, program, too. Yeah, no, I mean, thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, here, here's the thing. Four-year campuses, typically the buildings are, are owned by the state, the land and the build. On the other hand, the land and the buildings that make up branch campuses are typically owned by the county or the city. And so what happens is you're, you're paying rent on, on all that. And I, I mean, I, I don't want this to be all about the dollars and cents, but at some point in time, it, look, it, it, I understand public education is different than the example I'm going to give. But at the same time, don't you have to be aware of, let's say, 
you know, let's, let's take a real world example. You know, you run, you know, Jeff's gas stations and you've got a gas station. I don't know. I've got four gas stations in a three mile radius and three of the gas stations are doing really, really well. And one of them is a non-performer. At least it's not doing anywhere near as well as the other three. Well, what's going to happen in the real world? You're going to close it. And you're going to say, well, look, I appreciate it's a little bit of an inconvenience for people to have to go out of their way. Maybe so maybe you got to drive another, you know, couple miles to get to, you know, the other gas station if you want to patronize Jeff's gas stations. But it just doesn't make economic sense to do it. The Postal Service, you know, they you got you see these mailboxes around. Okay, well, you know, there's no guarantee that those mailboxes are always going to be there. The Postal Service is constantly, for example, checking the amount of mail that is put in an individual mailbox. And what happens is if you've got a neighborhood mailbox that doesn't generate enough traffic by that, there's not enough mail and stuff that's put in it, well, what the Postal Service is going to do is they're, they're going to get rid of it. That's That's how they operate because – just from an efficiency perspective, you know, even though it's your local mailbox, if it's not getting the volume that mailboxes, I don't know, eight blocks down do, they're going to pull it out because it takes time. They've got to pay the letter carrier to go and, and stop it and, and service it. So that might mean that, yes, you're, you're going to be inconvenienced. You've got to drive another eight blocks to, to mail your package. But it's just kind of the reality. You can't always have these things. And again, I think you just need to, especially in 2022, soon to be 2023, I think you need to start saying, all right, look, are some of these satellite campuses, are they necessities or are they luxuries? Now, I understand it. It's nice to have, hey, we've got, what was the number I had? 60 kids at UW Platteville, Richland. Oh, it's nice. These 60 kids are are there and it's convenient for them to attend the school. Okay, that's nice. But does it justify... You know, the, the amount of money that you're going to be looking at, you know, seven figures or more to keep the school open for 60 kids. And I think the answer is pretty much no. Now, I don't know where that, that magic number is. At what point in time you start to say it makes sense to start to close a place. I don't know whether it's 200 or 300 or whatever. But again, you look at some of these different schools and these two year schools that are somewhat bunched together, UW-Green Bay, Marinette, Manitowoc, and Sheboygan, all, you know, relatively close to each other, and all, well, I mean, Sheboygan has 440, Manitowoc has 373. Would it really be a hardship to combine those two so you have a university that has 780 or 800 students? Just asking. But this is one of the ongoing battles. Okay, now here's some breaking news, I believe. Just checking my phone, and I got a note from the Milwaukee Brewers. Concerts at American Family Field. The Morgan Wallen. Morgan Wallen, of course, is the, the huge country music star who's performing not once but twice, I believe this April, at March or April, at, at American Family Field. He's going to start his North American tour. Um, apparently, the pre-sale was supposed to start today. And the report is, uh, we, I'm reading it from my phone. We sincerely apologize. Ticketmaster has identified an issue with the passcodes and ticket limits set for today's presale. We will notify you again um, on when the presale will be available. Thanks for your patience, Milwaukee Brewers Ticket Office. This, of course, comes on the heels of the absolute and total debacle that they had with Taylor Swift a couple weeks ago, where you know they were trying to do the presale. And that um, they were hit by millions and millions more requests 
um, for tickets than they were able to handle, and the whole thing sort of crashed, and this has caused a lot of lot of consternation, lots of investigations of Ticketmaster and things of the like. But the bottom line is it doesn't seem like Ticketmaster has quite figured this out yet. And if you were in line for the Morgan Wallen um, presale for tickets, not going to happen at least right now as Ticketmaster tries to avoid another Taylor Swift fiasco. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spalding, Mr. Assistant Program Director, yes. before you leave, you want to wade in on the controversy that I have raging here on my on, on our text line and such? No, stuff? I don't know. What is it? I should well, ask what it is no, first. No, no, no. Just kind of wade <laughs> in. All right. So, you know, every year, a couple times a year, one of my very favorite sponsors comes on, and they, they, make, they make nightwear. And the, the, the place is P-A-J-A-M-A, Graham. All right, how do you pronounce P-A-J-A-M-A? We say pajama. I say pajama. You say pajama. I say pajama. Yes. Right. Um, and this is this huge controversy. It's kind of like men are from Mars and, you know, women are from Venus. That they're, they're, I, I actually, I have, a, I, have, I have researched the history of this, by the way. I expect and, nothing less. <laughs> absolutely, because, I mean, so people feel very, very strongly. And, and the, by the way, the bottom line is either pronunciation is correct. It, either pronunciation is, is acceptable under, like, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and things like this. But in the United States, it kind of depends, apparently, on where you grew up because— Now, I, I'm, we, my parents moved here from Baltimore, Maryland. I was, like, seven years old. So I grew up on the East Coast. And on the East Coast and the South, they are pajamas— and in the Midwest and the West, they are pajamas. So, you know, you're clearly demonstrating your, your Midwestern bias here. Yes, definitely from Missouri. Right. That's <laughs> it's, it. So it the, sounds like a Missouri saying. The, they are, they yeah. are pajamas. Now, my only, my, and I, I accept that either one is correct, but we don't say, I'm going to vacation in the Bahamas. We say, I'm going to the Bahamas for, for vacation. And so, I guess I don't I don't understand why it's it's if why then why aren't you vacationing in the Bahamas if it's pajamas? This reminds me a lot of the Halloween Halloween situation. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like I have friends who say Halloween and I've I've never heard that before in my life and cannot for the life of me understand why you say Halloween, but it they feel very strongly. Right. Orangutan, orangutan is oh, the, the other you want to talk about one that you really want to pick a fight for is the word C O Y O T E. Okay, how would you pronounce C-O-Y-O-T-E? I say coyote. You say coyote, right. And that, again, depends on what part of the country you're from, because, for example, in the Plain States, that is referred to as a coyote. Mm-hmm. And um, I and so I, I've but but I appreciate it. Like on on TV, it's it's Wiley Coyote. That's what you say. That's that's what the cartoon. It's not Wiley Coy Wiley Coyote, but. But nevertheless, if you were to go to South Dakota or Montana mm-hmm. or North Dakota for whatever reason, and you would talk about, you know, you have this, this problem with these animals, and you would say, it's a coyote. They would say, no, no, it's a coyote. Yeah, in Kansas, they do the same thing. I have family in Wichita, and they, they say coyote as well. Coyote, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's some of the, these things. But again, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm getting all this stuff about, no, it's, it's, it's pajama. No, I, but okay, but I, 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 I will accept the idea that, Anything is except that, you know, both of those are correct pronunciations, as are coyote and coyote, by the way. We're all going to the same place. We're all going you know, to the same place. We're on the same train car. Yeah. We're getting there. Right. And a free plug, they're, they're a great product. So whether you call them pajamas or pajamas, buy them for your significant other. She'll love them. Okay. 
All right. Now, this is something that actually my my assistant program director really probably does care about because I guess I had not realized this. I have said this before that I, I, electric vehicles, at least at this point in time, have no via, have no appeal to me. I, they just don't. I just, just bought a new car. It's being you know it's being built. I'm going to pick it up like in February or something like that. And and it's they said well you know they had an electric version of it. And I don't want the electric version. No, just give me the give me the regular gas powered car. So I, I have. I have no interest in them, and as we've talked about on this program, there's a variety of reasons for that, and I I appreciate that more people are buying them, still not a whole lot, but I, I understand that, you know, the car dealers and the government are trying to push people more and more towards these electric vehicles, and there there might be a time where, where it makes sense. To me, right now, the added cost and all the uncertainties and stuff doesn't make it worthwhile, but that doesn't make any difference. You know, it, if you want an electric vehicle, you can go out, you can buy an electric vehicle, and that's great. But when you buy your electric vehicle, here's one of the things I guess I wasn't really paying attention to, but the New York Times had a big piece on this over the weekend. In a future filled with electric cars, AM radio may be left behind. Car makers say electromagnetic interference causes static and noise on AM transmissions, annoying customers. Broadcasters say they could lose a connection to their core listeners who rely on the radio for emergencies. Here's the part start of the story. For nearly 100 years, drivers have been listening to AM radio, an American institution crackling with news, traffic, weather, sports, and an eclectic variety of other programs, like news talk shows like this. But the dashboard staple could be going the way of manual crank windows and car ashtrays as electric vehicles begin to grab more of the American marketplace. An increasing number of electric vehicles have dropped AM radio. Um, Car makers say that electric vehicles generate more electromagnetic interference than gas-powered ones, which can disrupt the reception of AM signals and cause static, noise, and high-frequency hums. FM signals are more resistant to such interference. Rather than frustrate customers with inferior reception and noise, the decision was made to leave it off vehicles that feature e-drive technology, said BMW in a statement referring to the system that powers its electric vehicles. Tesla, Audi, Porsche, Volvo have also removed AM radio from their electric vehicles, as has Volkswagen from its electric SUV, Ford said that the 2023 F-150 Lightning, its popular electric pickup truck, would also drop um, AM radio. Experts say the reception problems are not insurmountable. It could be controlled with shielding cables, filters, and placement of the electrical components in the vehicle. But such changes require money and effort, and it's not clear whether car makers are willing to spend more in the service of AM radio fans. Now, if you are listening to this program, you are an AM radio fan, even though you may be, you know, listening to me on streaming services and things of the like. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, the, uh, electric vehicles becoming a, a dominant force is is way down down the road. But it does appear that more and more of these car makers are saying, okay, you're not going to get AM radio with this anymore. So my question is, you know, is would that be a big deal to you if you weren't able to get AM radio in your car, in your cars? You know, how how big a concern would that be? And what does this mean for the future of AM radio? Not today, not next year, not five years down the road, but you know, maybe 10 or 15 years down the road, if cars 
Really, the electric cars decide not to carry the AM radio band. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Um, I guess I did, I did not realize this, but, um, in electric vehicles, more and more of them are are not carrying AM signals. There are no longer AM radios being put in these various vehicles, and, and the, the 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 reason given is that well, because of the the AM radio signal, it gets if you try to use it with some of the other electric parts, they create it creates some resistance, and you could get a staticky thing, or the reception quality isn't that great, and they don't want people frustrated with it. It doesn't come in, so the car maker's answer is, "We're just going to get rid of AM radio." <laughs> which I think is sort of an interesting approach to this. Now, look, there's going to be all sorts of other ways that you can still continue to listen to your typical AM radio. AM radio is not going anywhere. That's just the reality. But, you know, we have, for example, we have a, you can catch our broadcasts on an FM repeater. Now, it doesn't have the range that WTMJ has on the AM dial, but you can catch that. And, of course, you can do what I do a lot of times when I'm traveling out of the area. You can listen to us just through the app, you know, in your car. But I do think, I mean, this this is, it's certainly a factor. And, and one of the things that's out there is I, I refuse to believe these car manufacturers that say we can't figure out a way to make this work. I mean, my goodness, you know, we put a man on the moon back in 1969. It's more like we don't want to spend the money to to figure out how to make this work. And that's a completely different um, story. Jeff, it matters to me. Right now, I'm looking at a, for a new radio clock. Many don't have AM radio. I'm still looking at this. Jeff, funny story. I live on Ma- in Madison, and when I'm on the Beltline that has those high-voltage electric lines, I get a lot of interference in my car. Thank goodness you have an app. I use the app over the car speaker and turn on WTMJ. A bit inconvenient, but a good workaround. When I'm off the Beltline, I go to the car radio. Jeff, I think um, AM radio is destined to go away. I don't think it's a loss. Well, I don't know. I think a lot of the listeners in, for example, this market, listen to AM radio, including WTMJ, might disagree with you on that. Jeff, I would not be happy. I'd still buy the car, but would have to stream AM radio. I'd find another way. I'm not giving up my favorite shows. Well, we like to hear that. Jeff, this is another reason not to buy an electric car. Sent out a little happy face with that. Jeff, um, I'm not going to buy an electric car. Not getting AM radio is another reason not to do it. Jeff, I guess once I get that new electric vehicle, I'll just have to keep on listening to WTMJ one of my by, via one of my several still-used 1980 pocket uh, Sony Walkmans. Boy, that's something back. Jeff, I can listen to you on TuneIn or some of the other streaming things. I do this when I travel. Yeah, that's... That's what I do as well. Dick and Grafton says, this is a big conspiracy to make conservative radio on the AM band harder and harder to listen. The regime is trying to silence you. Well, I don't think it's necessarily the regime, but I think it might be some lazy car makers. And I would say that to think, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. Jeff, I listen to WTMJ all the time in my car. I agree with you. Electric cars have zero appeal to me right now. Again, I don't want to get into the debate about do you want an electric car or not. I've always said if you want one, you'll go with God. 
But I, I, my objection is the fact that you've got government forcing us into these different electric cars. And if they're going to say no more AM radio in there, Jeff, I'm an avid AM radio listener. When I'm out of the area, I use my apps and listen to the live feature to catch you wherever I go. It's no different than cable TV and subscribing to one network versus having multiple options to get your AM radio fixed. We will all adapt and your job will be safe. <laughs> There's a couple happy faces. Well, I, I don't. I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to do this. It's definitely going to be for a while. But by the time by the time electric cars become, you know, the the vast majority of stuff, not sure I'm going to still be doing it. But I do, as somebody who loves spoken word radio and loves the AM dial and loves the fact that WTMJ has the reach that WTMJ has, I would hate it if people wouldn't be able to get access into the cars. Our friend Heather in West Bend says, boo, this would make me think twice. I love spending my lunches with you folks. That's Heather in West Bend. Well, and we love having you, Heather. And again, there, there, there will be workarounds. There, there's no question about it, including most likely you know, going to the apps and things like that. But I, I guess, I, I guess I, the, the bottom line is, to me, I don't think this is so much about reception as about, well, you know, we don't think that there's enough demand for it. And I suspect that, uh, I suspect that some of these car makers might be surprised as to how much demand there is. But if you're, if you're thinking about buying an electric car and you're a fan of, again, a fan of AM radio, it's just another one of those considerations because lots and lots of, I have a text from somebody who's got an old Chevy Volt, says he's got an AM radio, he's got an AM radio receiver, has no problems with it. So I, I, again, I don't know the technology of it, but I just refuse to believe that in today's day and age, you couldn't have an electric car that also got an AM radio signal. But that's just me. Uh, Joel in Sockville. Joel, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, good to talk to you, brother. Hey, I just uh, I think we might be kind of missing a piece of the puzzle here. I think by, by denying you an AM radio and, uh, and pushing the satellite uh, service, the Sirius Satellite Radio, they're, they're, they're getting a cut. You know, they're making money on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the idea to try to kind of force people into, like, the satellite services and things like that. Yeah, I, yep. I, I guess, Joel, I just find it impossible to believe that you're, you're going to tell me you're going to build, you're going to build a reliable electric car that I'm going to be drive, able to drive all over the country, but you can't figure out how to get an AM radio signal into it. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of like, really? Oh, they, they, they know how. Yeah. I, but it don't give them any money. They don't yeah. get any money then. You right. know, there's a there's a bean counter at work there. Yeah, no, it could it could very well be. Or no, thanks to call. Or or yeah, we, we could do this, but we'd have to spend a nickel moving this from that. I again it's just I I I find it impossible to believe that you, you could not deliver an AM radio signal in an electric car. And and if you couldn't deliver the AM signal into the electric car, it, again, it would make me wonder about the entire, you know, technology. Now, if you if you decided, okay, we don't think there's an interest in AM radio, so we're not going to offer it, well, that's a different position. But that's apparently not what they're saying. They're just saying we can't work out the signal. It's kind of like, I mean, try to buy a car nowadays that has a CD player in it. Okay, they just, back not that long ago, you know, every car that you purchased, you know, had, uh, you know, or at least most of the cars you purchased 
you know, that was one of the features. You had the AM-FM radio, and you had the CD player that came along with it. Well, now try finding a car with a CD player, a new car with a CD player. It just doesn't exist anymore because of the Internet connectivity and all that sort of stuff. And so they figured there's not the demand for the CD radios, the, the radios that had the CD players along, attached to them. I think AM radio might be different. And again, this isn't a problem for today or tomorrow, except if you're thinking about going out and buying a new Tesla or a new BMW electric vehicle, um, it's not going to have an AM radio. So you have to figure out what plan B is to listen to The Wagner Show. Gee, what a surprise. Less than a month after Larry David, Tom Brady, Stephen Curry, and others were sued for bringing their well-compensated star power to pitch now-collapsed cryptocurrency firm FTX. And I have said this before. I mean, I just... I remember it during the Super Bowl, every third ad seemed to be one of these cryptocurrency things. And, you know, we were all being told that we were like flat earthers if we didn't think that this was a good investment. And, well, now it, it, you just watch the way this whole thing has bombed out and people who are losing millions and millions of dollars. Now a new class action suit goes after Steph Curry, Jimmy Fallon, Madonna, Gwyneth Paltrow, and others because, you know, they were in this high-profile advertising campaign where they were pushing nfts which it's it's a variation of cryptocurrency it's not quite the same but without going into too much detail these are non-fungible tokens which are generally created using the same type of programming used for cryptocurrency so you had these celebrities that were telling people buy this buy this buy this buy this they were highly compensated for doing this People spent their money, and now it turns out that a lot of the stuff has ended up being completely and totally worthless. My only comment on this is, if you are making investment decisions because Jimmy Fallon or Madonna or Matt Damon or Larry David or Steph Curry tells you to do that, it's it's almost like you know what what do you expect here, here I am a duck come pluck me that's pretty much what you're you're saying with these things so I'm sorry you lost your money I'm surprised you lost your money as quickly as you did but I'm not surprised you lost your money and next time Matt Damon or Gwyneth Paltrow or God help us Madonna or Jimmy Fallon tell you how to invest your money um, maybe. Maybe you want to ask how much they're being paid to tell you that and whether or not they're taking their payments in cryptocurrency or NFTs or whatever. Anyhow, there's a new class action lawsuit against them and against the the companies that they were working for. We'll see where that goes. You know Bob Barker, right? Not personally. Well, but you know who Bob Barker is. is. 99 years old today. He's still alive? (laughs) Wait, he's still alive, really? Yes. (laughs) Yes, 90... Today is his 99th birthday, born December 12th, 1923. Yes, he is still alive. Happy birthday, Bob. Happy birthday, Bob. Uh, the guy, I was, I was just pulling this up because it's really an incredible career. Um, he started he started hosting game shows before even I was born. That, you know, that just puts it in perspective. His, he, and he really, he did two game shows for most of the time. He started off with a show called Truth or Consequences, which was before your time. Yes. 1956 to 1975. Um, and it was, um, it was never one of my favorites, but it was kind of a syndicated sort of show. And I can remember, I just, they'd have people like doing, like doing, like, 
I think like weird sort of stunts. Like I remember one, and I don't know. I don't know why. This just shows how my my mind works. I don't remember this. The content. The two contestants. One was going to fly around the world. Okay, so mm-hmm. going to fly around the world, and the other one was going to like walk forty miles from one place in Los Angeles to the other. And the competition was who could, could the guy walk. You know, faster than it took them to fly around the world. It was just it was a bizarre sort of thing, but I found it to be uniquely fascinating. The answer was, you, wherever they were walking from, you could walk faster than fly really? around the world. Really? Okay. But yeah, but on the other hand, you're, you're flying around the world. Yeah. You know, you're not walking. So, but it, but it was, so, anyways, it was Truth or Consequences from 56 to 75. He started hosting The Price is Right in 1972 and, and finished up in 2007. So, I mean, just, you know, so 28, 35 years, you know, hosting that game show. Number one, the fact that the game show had that kind of longevity is just absolutely unbelievable. And number two, that one host would do it for for 35 years is just unbelievable to me. That is incredible. Like 20, um, does anyone do anything that long on television anymore? 35 years. Yeah, thir- like Jeff mean, Probst maybe with uh, Survivor. Like he, he's not. It's not thirty-five. Not even close to thirty-five years. But no. I'm just trying to think of people who have been right. But that TV. that kind of right, that kind of longevity and 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 associated with one one show yeah. too. I mean, it's not like oh, we we did this show and then you you've had a different one. No, it's thirty-five years um, on on the show. So. Uh, just and and yes, and Bob Barker is still alive. So and his, his message, you know, he's big with um, he's he's with big big with like animal stuff, mm-hmm. including like make sure you know you have your your cat spayed and things like that. So that was his that was apparently his his message this year was you know, have have your cat spayed. Good message. All right, I can agree. Happy birthday, Bob. <laughs> Happy All birthday, right, Bob, Bob Bar- Barker, ninety nine years old. Wow. Now one of our texters actually one one of our texters. Makes me laugh. The, the thing was, well, it's the old Joe, Joe, George Burns joke was, you know, who wants to live to be 100? The guy that's 99. Yeah, ask Bob Barker if he wants to live to be 100. I guess that would be the answer. Somebody else, we, we, were, we were talking about the, these longevities of shows. He hosted The Price is Right for 35 years, from 72 until uh, 2007. And before that, he had had a, a run on um, a show called Truth or Consequences that ran itself for 17 or 18 years. So, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, you want to talk about longevity, 50 plus years, you know, hosting one of two game shows. Maybe the the best example, other example of that would be, and one of our listeners points it out, um, the Wheel of Fortune. Pat Sajak has hosted Wheel of Fortune. I think with Vanna White that whole time. Um, that show, he started in 1981. So let's do the math. You've got 19 years, 81 to 2000, and then another 23. So, I mean, yeah, you're talking about, you know, going just a little more than 40 years. Um, so at, at, this, at the one gig. So I'm not sure that there's too many, and I'm not sure moving forward there's going to be too many people that have careers where you stay Maybe you can stay in television for that long, but not going to be too many careers where people stay at one particular show that has that appeal. And, it, and again, it shows, I think, the, uh, the appeal of um, Wheel of Fortune as well. All right, something completely different. Christmas, two weeks from yesterday. Hanukkah is coming up as well. People are in the midst of holiday shopping. I was talking to somebody the other day who was telling me that they were waiting to do their holiday shopping because they thought they would get better bargains. That, you know, if they go to the stores the last week or so before Christmas, 
what they're going to do is they're, they're going to find the better deals on, on the stuff. And I said, well, you think you like better than the, your Black Friday deals? Yes, better than the Black Friday deals. You know, better than if you purchased like in October. Because back, back in October, Target and Walmart, I mean, they announced that their philosophy was going to be, hey, they're going to roll out their holiday deals earlier than normal. And they went back. There was a big advertising campaign in the first week of October because they, they wanted to they wanted to get you know, cautious and cash-strapped consumers in. And that's why, I mean, Target announced deal days would begin. They began on October 6th. Walmart put an October 1st start date on their holiday return programs. So they're moving up their early deals. And so they were encouraging more and more people to try to buy earlier. Nevertheless, this person I'm talking to the other day said, no, I, I know that they say that they've got these deals, but he firmly believes that if you're price-conscious, the best deals to be had are going to be had in the last week or so, and that's why he intends to do his shopping. And my question was, well, you know, do you do you think you're going to have trouble finding stuff? He says he hasn't so far. He said, you know, and again, I, I don't know. He's not buying for kids, so you don't necessarily need to have the, the hottest toy that's out there. But, you know, these sort of staples, his belief is if you wait till as close to Christmas as you're comfortable doing – you're going to get the best deals, better than good, better than Black, better than Good Friday, better than Black Friday. You know, better than early October. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. My guess is that right now you have either finished your shopping, you are in the middle of your shopping, or maybe like my buddy, you're you're waiting until, I don't know, maybe next weekend or whatever, or next week sometime, because you think that's where all the bargains are going to be. All right, are you better off? Are you going to get more deals and better deals if you wait till the last minute? 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line. Those of you who are in the front lines, who are in the stores making the purchases or buying online, are you finding that prices have gone down, say, since Black Friday? 855-616-1620. And is this changing the way you traditionally shop? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right. Tales from the front. Christmas is coming up. Uh, Hanukkah is coming up. Number of people thought that, well, okay, we're going to do our shopping early this year because that's where the deals are going to be. Friends of mine are telling me, no, if you wait till the last minute, if you're willing to do that, chances are you're going to get better buys. Is that the case? Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. Um, Jeff, I just saw one today, and I agree with the guy. Um, I bought a Mermaid Barbie, but I have to mail them to Florida, so I bought them early, and it was like 25 bucks. So I went shopping today grocery shopping on Myers and checked out the toys and sure enough there that mermaid Barbie was for 19. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, however, but I, right, however, my stuff got there in three days, Jeff. So yeah. Yeah. That's, going he, early for mailing. It's kind of a wash. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, think, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's, it's at some point in time and see for me, I, I'm always willing to trade money for convenience and certainty. And like you say, 
you want to you want to get it off your plate. You know, okay, this is a gift for the grandkids or or whatever, and you want to get it down there, and you want to make sure that they have it. So it's like, okay, I can save six bucks if I, I can I can wait, and maybe I can save two or three or five or six bucks. But at the same time, then I'm going to have the hassle of worrying about, hey, if I if I put this in the mail or send it some other way, is it going to get there? Because and and that's always the balance that you end up having. For me personally. As somebody who is a shop, a buyer, not a shopper, and I've I've told this this before. I mean, I'm I'm very very fortunate in my life for many reasons, and I'm married to the wonderful woman I am. But one of the things is she she likes to go in the stores and she likes to shop, and I I just I absolutely hate it when I go into the stores. It is with a specific mission. I'm going to buy something, you know, and so it's targeted. This is where I'm going to do. I'm going to buy. So it's it's like okay, today is the day that I'm supposed to go buy X. X gift for my brother. All right, this is what X gift is. And so am I concerned that, gee, maybe if I wait another couple days, the gift that I'm going to buy might be 4 or $5 cheaper? No, my point is just kind of, no, I just I, I want to get it. I want to get it done. I want to check that off the list. I want to get it off my plate. So, boom, I'm, I'm going to just go buy it when I'm there. But I do appreciate, that's why I'm so very lucky for you know, my wife, who's <clears throat> sitting there saying, okay, well, I, I'm always looking for the discounts. And I know that this is, you know, going to be on sale in a week or two. My wife is famous for going into stores, uh, especially for some of the big ticket purchases. And she'll say, okay, is this on sale? Well, and they'll say, no, it's it's not on sale. Is it going to be on sale? Well, we don't know. Has it been on sale in the last several months? And and then she'll just say, why, why don't you just, let, let's save us all some trouble and give me X discount. And you'd be surprised at how many times, um, People are are able to do this, um, you know, no question about it. Um, Jeff, for the first time since Boston Store closed, I'm working in retail again at Crate and Barrel. We have uh, a very little quote. Chris, we have very little quote Christmas specific merchandise left. I believe most brick and mortar stores are getting better at not overstocking their shelves. I've also seen many stores offering sales to get shops shoppers shopping earlier. And in the last days before Christmas, what may be discounted is very picked over. Well, that's um, that's of course the risk that you end up running if you're going to wait. And again, it depends on whether you need a specific sort of item or whether it's just kind of a, a generic kind of thing. Jeff, deals may be better later, but a lot of stores and even websites will be picked over and it will be much more difficult to find sizes and other specifications one needs. It's it's funny how you mention sizes. There was um, something, uh, without going into too much detail, something that we were ordering as a gift. And it was just... You know, we were we were doing it online because that that's what we were instructed to do. It was the type of gift that you could have probably found in a store around here, maybe, but you would have to look a lot. So you know, we were, were online looking for the thing, and to find to find it in the appropriate size was just an enormous, enormous challenge. And and to the point that okay, you know, if they, they don't have it on this website in this size, they don't have it in this website on this size. And again, with a little bit of persistence, we were ultimately able to find it. But um, but it was a bit of a struggle. Okay, John McCure is back from his listener trip in San Diego, in San Diego, San Antonio, and he'll be in in a couple minutes. I did want to, I wanted to mention one thing before the, the Monday show ends. There, there's a piece in the local newspaper that, that takes... It goes after Tim Michaels, who, um, you know, Michaels 
ran for governor. Michaels lost to Tony Evers. It was close, but not that close. And there's a lot of people who are kind of now second guessing the Michaels campaign. And, and this is what happens. It, it, you know, people always come out of the woodwork afterwards and, and say, well, this should have happened or this is the problem. I mean, <clears throat> I, and, and they point to the fact that, I mean, Ron Johnson won and Tim Michaels lost. Ron Johnson's margin of victory was, in my opinion, closer than it should have been. And, and I think the real reason I've said this before is that Republicans just need to get better in getting the early vote out. We have, we, being Republicans, have historically counted on, hey, our voters are going to come out and they're going to vote on Election Day. And they do. They, they do. But at the same time, those Election Day votes, you've got to count and you've got to hope that people are going to come out and vote. If you, can get, if you can get people early voting and you can send in the mail ballots and you can get those ballots already locked in, you're, you're just better off. And I think that, for example, I think that's one of the reasons why Tim Michaels lost. I think if the Republicans had done a better job of – of, again, getting that early vote out and not denouncing people or discouraging people from voting by mail, I think it might have been a different thing. And I think the Ron Johnson margin would have certainly been a lot larger. So that's something to learn from future elections. But, you know, there, there's this piece now where people are coming out and saying, well, we don't think Tim Michaels worked very hard, you know, and he, he, he wanted to be home at night. So he wasn't on like these long term bus trips and things like that. Again, it's real easy to come out after the fact and complain. And I've made no secret about this. I thought, I thought Rebecca Clayfish would have been the stronger candidate. Republican primary voters, you know, disagreed with that assessment. I think Michaels ran a hard campaign. He certainly invested a lot of his money in that race. And, you know, you can always quibble. It's not like Tony Evers was out, you know, making eight or nine stops every every day. He he wasn't doing that either. To me, it's easy to say, okay, Michaels didn't campaign as aggressively as he could have. That that's I don't believe that's why Michael's lost. Again, I think it goes back to these larger issues of of mail-in voting. But I'm always amused after a, a campaign ends, and everybody's the expert. Everybody comes in and says, well, you should have done this or you should have done that. I, I just – I think a lot of times in, in politics nowadays, I think it's really simple, especially for Republicans in close states. They've got to figure out how to get their voters voting early in order to not have to depend on them turning out on Election Day. Once they do that, you're going to start seeing Wisconsin reliably winning Wisconsin, Republicans reliably winning Wisconsin again.